0: Welcome back to another episode of American West History and Lore. I am your host, Paul Workman, and as always, I'm glad to be back with you. First and foremost, I need to take a minute to thank each and every one of you who have liked, shared, commented, and have been active and showed support on the American West History and Lore Facebook page, and to all those who have rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. It truly means the world to me, and thanks to all of you, more people are finding the show. So, thank you again from the bottom of my heart. And if you haven't, and you'd like to, feel free to head on over to iTunes or Stitcher and, and rate and review the show if you feel so inclined. Moving on, I'm excited about this episode, guys. Who doesn't like a good story about good ol' outlaws? Having said that, let's dive right into the episode about the Fort Worth 5 Photograph. Butch Cassidy, one of the American West's greatest mysteries. I believe it's safe to say that most of us have heard of Butch and what he was famous for, which was robbery. But what happened to Butch? History would have you believe that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid packed up and headed to South America where, in Bolivia in 1908, they were gunned down and killed. For the sake of history, this would be the most simple explanation. However, there is more to it than that. Whether new evidence that is brought to light is fiction or fact, several accounts suggest that Butch and Sundance returned to the United States after being quote-unquote killed in Bolivia. Here are some facts about Butch. Butch Cassidy's real name was Robert Leroy Parker. He was born on April 13, 1866 in Beaver, Utah. Butch was a bank and train robber who was wanted in several states. Butch, the Sundance Kid, and Etta Place did in fact move to South America at some point. Now at this point is where history turns and becomes a little bit of a mystery. In Michael Rutter's book, Outlaw Tales of Utah, he states about the outlaws being killed in Bolivia, quote, The outlaws were probably glad to have this rumor spread indeed. They probably started it, end quote. He goes on to say that some historians believe that the outlaws came back to the U.S. around 1910 to 1913, split up, and led separate lives. Rutter says that Butch Cassidy most likely moved to Spokane, Washington, and worked as a businessman, and that he reportedly died in the Pacific Northwest in 1937. Other folks have differing opinions on what happened after Bolivia, such as he died in the small mining town of Johnny, Nevada, or that he died in Leeds, Utah at the ripe old age of 90. And chances are, Butch and Sundance died in Bolivia. But I would like to believe that there's more to the story than this. What I do know, though, is that stepping back a few years before Butch and Sundance dropped off the face of the earth, they were captured in one of the greatest Wild West photographs ever taken. In my opinion, of course. The photograph is known as the Fort Worth Five, and an article from Wild West Magazine entitled, Last Word on the Wild Bunch photo by Richard Seltzer and Donna Donnell debate the traditional, well-known version of events surrounding the photograph. I've always loved this photo, but have never really known any background on it aside from the fact that it was taken in Fort Worth, Texas. So here we go, let's talk about the Fort Worth 5 photograph. The traditional tale goes as follows, by the way, I say traditional tale because this story does vary based on the information out there that is available. The Wild Bunch had just pulled off one last big robbery in Winnemucca, Nevada before making their way east to Texas, a place they felt was far enough east and they would not be recognized. The alleged members of the bank heist were Robert Leroy Parker, a.k.a. Butch Cassidy, Harry Longabaugh, a.k.a. The Sundance Kid, Harvey Logan, a.k.a. Kid Curry, William Carver, a.k.a. News Carver, and Ben Kilpatrick. Sometime in November of 1900, after a long night of what I'm sure was full of liquor, gambling, and gals, the five men decided that it would be a good idea to have their picture taken all together, perhaps as one last hurrah and keepsake. So that's what they did. The men suited up and looked dapper as ever with their matching bowler caps, three-piece suits, and their visible pocket watch chains. Will Carver and Harvey Logan stood while Robert, Harry, and Ben sat, Harvey resting his hand on Robert's right shoulder and Will on Ben's. The photographer, John Swartz, had taken care in setting up the props, and it looked great, to say the least. The photographer did his duty, and the photo turned out to be one of the most iconic photos concerning the Wild West and the days of outlaws ever to be taken. The story goes that Schwartz had no clue who the men were, He just knew that he had taken a great picture and was proud of it. So proud that he displayed it in his shop window. It just so happened that a Pinkerton or detective, some sort of lawman, walked by the window of Schwartz's studio and recognized one of the outlaws, and that was it. He ordered copies of the photo and had wanted posters made up and put up everywhere. Their identities had been compromised, and this photograph is what is believed to have caused the breakup of the Wild Bunch. Now, where does the article by Seltzer and Donnell disagree with this traditional tale? Seltzer and Donnell state in their version that when the Wild Bunch was heading to Schwartz's studio to get their picture taken, quote, the boys climbed the stairs on the side of the building to the second floor and entered Schwartz's well-appointed waiting room, end quote. Second floor is the key words here, because if you remember the traditional tale, it said that a lawman was walking on the street and saw the photograph displayed in the studio's window. The question is, how could you walk by and see the photograph displayed through a second floor window from ground level? The studio's physical address was 705 and a half main. Does the half stand for a second floor? Now if this is the case, then how did the photograph make the rounds and eventually break up the wild bunch? Because that much is not disputed. The police did use the photograph for wanted posters. Well, according to Seltzer and Donnell, Swartz was the go-to photographer for the city police, meaning he took many a mugshot for the cops. It was an officer named Charles R. Scott whose job it was to take the criminals down to 705 and a half Maine and have John Swartz take their mugshots. It turns out that Swartz did display the Fort Worth 5 photograph, but not in a window. He just displayed it in his waiting room. Charles just so happened to recognize two of the five outlaws in the photo Harvey Logan, and Will Carver as he was in charge of the Fort Worth PD's rogues gallery and had seen their faces numerous times. The article states that, quote, On top of that, he had the Wells Fargo Express agent on the Texas flyer when it was held up near Folsom, New Mexico Territory, on July 11, 1899 by the Ketchum gang, Sam Ketchum and Lay and Will Carver and Harvey Logan. Two of the three men were not masked, Carver and Logan, he assumes, and as Hamill Scott told supervisors afterward, quote, I would know them anywhere, end quote. Scott took the photograph and indeed spread the word and exposed the wild bunch, though they had most likely already skipped town and disbanded by this point. As for the fate of the Fort Worth Five, well, we already discussed Butch and Sundance at the beginning of the episode. Will Carver was killed by authorities on April 2nd, 1901, Ben Kilpatrick was arrested and sentenced to 15 years in St. Louis on November 5, 1901 for distributing stolen money. He only served 10 years, however. And Harvey Logan was arrested in December of 1901 in Tennessee only to escape in 1903 and be gunned down in 1904 in Colorado. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. Again, if you like what you're hearing, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher. Also, feel free to send any show suggestions or comments to my email. That's going to be at thepkworkman at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-K-W-O-R-K-M-A-N at gmail.com. Or send your suggestions and comments on Facebook. Show notes for this episode can be found, for now anyways, at mysteryandhistory.blogspot.com. This will be changing very soon. And we're going to close out the show with a preview from our friend Steve Blizzon's podcast, The Drift and Ramble Podcast. If you like this show, you'll love his. Take care, and we'll catch you next time. Welcome to The Drift and Ramble Podcast. Each episode, we'll explore true stories and American legends. From the pages of history, we'll look at the people, places, and events that helped shape a nation. Knock, knock, Miss Pearl. I sure hope you ain't decent. Why, come on in here, sugar, and feast your eyes on little old Pearl. Here, quick, help me drag him behind the bed. This here's the sheriff. What's all the commotion in there? Sounds like somebody's getting pistol whipped or something. Oh, everything's fine, sheriff, Uh, just fine. Had me a romp in the hay with old Pearl here, and I just dropped my boot whilst I was uh, getting dressed. Hi, sheriff. You want to get a little bit before I get myself all dressed again? Pearl, what are you doing? Don't invite that man in here. No, thank you kindly, Miss Pearl. I'm still itching from the last time we had relations. Well, you know where I am if you change your mind, Sheriff. Stories of survival, notable frontier men and women, explorers who struck it rich, and the outlaws that stole it from them. So, saddle up, or settle in, for the Drift and Ramble podcast.